that they do have to have agency. So in all of these projects, there is space, right? Like the students are taking ownership of their learning. The students are, are ways in which the project is led by them. Mm. Um, and it's going to end up in like really cool bits of inquiry and like for this history cookbook project, they're going to want to dive into something and they're going to end up somewhere. And there's going to be questions that we didn't know we're going to show from the beginning. And that's like, right. that's a good project, right? So there's space for that. Hello, hello. So after a very long break in interviews on Ready to Redo, incredibly sorry about that. We're finally back at it with the very awesome and very funny Brandon Lee from Khan Lab School. Yes, the school founded by Sal Khan, or most famously known as Khan Academy, which I geek out about in episode 40. Brandon is the director of project-based learning, and so of course, we'll discuss why application and practical work is so important in school, as well as how KLS includes this in their very unique curriculum, which you'll learn all about. You're in for a treat, so let's jump into it. Initially, I, I was basically doing a little stalky stalk and seeing what your experiences <laughs> were and uh, within education. And I saw that you have quite an extensive education background, which we can go into later. Mm-hmm. So first, I would love to know what even interested you in Khan Lab School or KLS in the first place? Yeah, totally. Um, I think the one of the first things, and I, I think this is probably the um, something that every single person who works at Khan Lab School shares, is that at some point we were stuck on something in math and our teachers weren't explaining it well and we didn't know how to do it and didn't know how to get support. And this man on YouTube was kind enough <laughs> to teach us. And his, the sound of his voice has been burned into, into our memory. Welcome to the presentation on Basic Edition. So, uh, so that was one of the things, um, because I have such a, such a deep and fond respect for Khan Academy. Um, and, you know, most of the time I tell people I work for Khan Lab School, they're like, oh, Khan Academy. I'd be like, well, not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just want to ask about Khan Academy. I'm like, but Khan Lab School is really great, too. Let me tell you about what I do. <laughs> um, so that was really exciting. But I've been I've jumped from school to school. I worked in like I, wor- I started working in the Boston Public Schools, um, saw, did a whole rodeo dealt with all the red tape and did the, did the burnout in, in a public school system. Like, um, many people do worked for a charter school system, um, worked at, um, a system called high tech high in San Diego. And, um, I think I was getting really frustrated with a lot of things. I was really frustrated with, um, a lot of the ways that schools are run. I was frustrated with, um, the, power and agency that teachers had and the relationship with admin. I was frustrated with um, how I feel like a lot of times we just like weren't doing things in the service of students and in better learning um, and why we were latching on to like old paradigms of educational past. And um, and so Khan Lab School really stood out to me in that way in that a lot of the premise behind the school is to say, well, what would we do if we were to take a school and just restart from scratch? Um, what will we stick with? What are the things that work that we'll keep doing? And what are the what questions do we have about um, existing paradigms? And what can we iterate on? And how can we change that so students can learn better? And you know, schools traditionally are one of the slowest moving spaces yes. in the world. You know, like if you um, in a public school can like iterate one systemic change, you know, in a school year, then like you're feeling pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, we like see all this like this research coming up constantly. It's like kids learn better when they do this. Students learn better in this. Actually, it seems like high schoolers do better in this situation. And it's like we it seems like we know this. (laughs) It seems like all this is coming out and it's like all these (laughs) colleges and they're doing the study. They're doing the work. And uh, and can't implement any of it because there's so much red tape. Um, so so that's what excites me about Con Lab School is that we we do things quickly. And you know we the way things are. You know we just started our school year um, a month uh, a little bit over a month ago, and some of the things we implemented to the start 
um, have already started to change because we know that those systems don't work, haven't been working. So we'll keep going and keep doing that and keep refining the model of our school until um, it works the best. Mm-hmm. And what's a recent change that you've made to the school? You've pinpointed a problem or you've pinpointed something not working as well as you would have liked. So is there a recent change you've made? Well, we came back on site. That was exciting. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge change, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, actually the pandemic was a, um, I think spoke to how well our model worked mm. um, in that the like you know it was March 2020 and it was like you know one day and we're like oh we're 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 gonna be remote we'll see you all Mm. in two weeks right two three two weeks four weeks we'll be back yeah (laughs) um but because of like the way we're structured um we were able to pivot really quickly um and we don't have like the traditional school structures you know you walk into um um walk into con lab school it doesn't really um in many ways it doesn't look and feel like a traditional school and so because we were like tied to a lot of structures, um, we were able to just change up really quickly. We moved into the online platform really quickly. We changed up our LMS really quickly. And um, and then we were pretty much like rolling by the time like April was going. It's like, oh, it's wow. going to be a little bit more than two weeks. Um, we were going, not to say it wasn't exhausting. And last year was like, wasn't the one of the worst, like, you know, mm. teaching years ever, but <laughs> um, we were able to move a little bit faster. Right. And I, I guess... This is a good segue into really how Kalos is structured in in the first place because I think um, a, a lot of especially listeners and watchers don't really know how Kalos structures its curriculum and all that. Mm-hmm. So could you describe it a little bit? So the school is um, based around a lot of the um, what Sal um, Sal, the founder of Khan Academy and the founder of our school, um, wrote about in his book One World Schoolhouse and. Uh, one of those biggest things was the concept of mastery-based learning. Um, and, and we're not the first school that has touched mastery-based learning. We're not the first school, we're not the first school to coin it. Um, but it is one of, the, one of the founding principles that really guides our pedagogy. And the idea behind mastery-based learning is that, um, you know, when you were in fourth grade, right, and you were, um, you got to like the fractions unit of math, right? Uh, so then like, you know, you, uh, went really fast through fractions and you're like rocking fractions and you're feeling great and you're awesome. And then you're like, okay, but the teacher's teaching fractions. So you got like another five weeks of fractions coming up at the same time. Your friend is really struggling through fractions. And this is the hardest, most difficult thing that they've ever done in their life. Um, and they really need that. They need a little bit more time, but you know, five weeks is up the fractions units over and we're moving on and we're moving on to our geometry unit. And guess what? In our geometry unit, <laughs> Um, you need to know how you do fractions because we're going to be, we're going to be building on top of those skills. So this is like, and a, a lot of like the, the, our principles are started with math and what we're like seeing as the biggest gaps, uh, gaps in math education. So as we continue to teach these skills, as, as you, as you learn um, math in this way, and you know, you get like 80% in, in your math class and like, Hey, that's a B. Um, that's great. You're passing, but right? move on, go to pre-algebra. It's like, Hey, you got 80% again. Um, that's great. Go on to algebra. And then you're on to geometry and you're like getting 80% and then it comes on 70% and like you're being pushed through and you weren't given the time to master any of these skills. And then like all of a sudden, like things are going to fall down upon itself. So like, what if we just abolish this idea, right. Of, of, of these classroom structures in the first place. Why can students just do math at the pace that they're meant to do? And if they're speeding up through something, they're like moving through fractions, they're moving through whatever faster, that's great. And all of a sudden they hit a wall when they get to trigonometry and they need more time for trigonometry. Let's give them more time and give them more one-on-one attention to do that. And let's meet the students exactly where they're at. And then, and then within that, like, so how do we assess them? And how do we, um, beyond just like a test, how do we show that students really have mastered the skill um, and they're taking it and beyond just able to replicate it, they're able to apply it, they're able to take it to the next level. So, um, so when you walk into our schools, you know, you don't see, um, you know, just like the traditional classroom where one teacher teaches like, um, and I'm talking about the elementary school right now, I teach all the subjects. Um, and we all see mixed age learning. So you'll see students 
you know, who are 10 working with students who are 14, if they're on similar levels in math and students who are seven, the students who are nine, um, and they're working together, um, working alongside each other, depending on their math skill, where they're at, at that point. Mm. And I, I remember discussing um, mastery-based learning actually on, on this podcast or YouTube, uh, and someone had replied to me about the progress that you would make with mastery-based learning. So, for example, some people would flourish because you, they can specify on their weaknesses and really flesh that out and then move on. And the question to me was, would there be a, a point in time where a student would never move on because they just can never master this particular thing? Has that happened or have you seen something else? Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely, our, our school model is based upon, you know, what's works best for our students, right. And meeting students mm-hmm. like exactly where they're at. And so, and so one thing built into this model as well is um, that students do also have advisors. Um, so in you know, even like our aisle, we call them aisle one, but our like kindergarten and first grade students will have an advisor they'll meet one-on-one with um, once a week. Um, and then they'll kind of walk through their goals and like talk about like what they're doing in math and what they're working on math, what they're, what they're struggling with um, and ELA and science, art, whatever it is, um, what their goals are for this upcoming week, for the short term, for the long term. So we're building that agency, building that metacognition too, as students like think about their work and reflect upon it. But then, so we have teachers who are able to track, track this, right? So we're, we're working along with them. We're saying, okay, like they're doing well math there or like they're really stuck on this concept. Um, we need to give them some more attention. We need to meet with them at, at, um, at that place. Um, we give them one-on-one tutoring. Maybe we're like adding some peer tutoring. Maybe we're like thinking of different ways of teaching them. Um, and we give students a chance to review. So, um, you know, if they... We, if they have a test, they'll have a chance to go back to the test, revisit it, redo that work, um, reflect on what they're learning. So with all that, like that gets us pretty far um, with a specialized attention. And like we have, you know, we have the resources at KLS um, to be able to to give us individual attention. And you know, we have really great um, teacher student ratios. But then, yeah, and then the, sometimes there are places where it's like, I always bring up fractions because it's like, man, yeah. fractions is like, I feel like that was like, the, it was like a wall for yeah. so many students. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and I, I bring it up and people are like, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get mm-hmm. I get the fraction wall. Um, but yeah, but sometimes it's like, it takes a little bit more work and then we, we have to just keep going at it. Um, and we have to like think about different ways to address it. Um, and maybe we keep going for a little bit, but we have to like make sure that they match to that. And we, yeah, we don't, we may, we, they, we, they have to demonstrate mastery in these skills before they're able to move on. Um, and um, we'll do everything that we can do to, to make sure that happens. Right. And, and is that part to do with maybe encouraging them to see bigger picture as in what they can achieve if they were to master these foundations? Because at least from, from what I've seen in the classroom, a lot of students don't know why they have to learn this particular so learn fractions for example why they have to do it. and they always ask me why <laughs> I'm like well to be honest I'm just to answer that it's because you're going to get tested on it but that's yeah. obviously the worst excuse uh, but for them to see the bigger picture to pique their curiosity that way and their interest that way mm-hmm. and then for them to get that motivation to really master the material because otherwise I can see how um obviously I love mastery-based learning I can also see how if they were to go through the motions and the steps that they're so focused on the steps that they can't actually reach that until they reach it. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like a couple of, um, a couple of things I'm thinking about that. One is I think often when we think about like, okay, like this subject is the worst. I hate doing this. I don't enjoy it I don't understand why we're doing this a lot of that comes with, comes from frustrations of not being able to do it and kind of like cultural responses to to like to expectations around like um, achievement and things like that so if I if I hate something then I can't be mad that like I'm not like I, I feel like I'm not good at it or something by creating a by restructuring like the entire system right so 
we're saying like, it's totally okay wherever you are. And it's okay. Like, and you're going to struggle with some things. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. Like what is like, like sometimes you're like, some things are going to be harder. Sometimes something's going to be easier and that's totally cool. And we're on this journey together and, you know, building in space, like where we can talk about that and reflect about that. And I like, for me, like one thing um, as a teacher, I just like want to build in more space of like metacognition and reflection and having students think about the learning and their learning process is like why like the advising is like such a beautiful thing for students even as like young as I'll our kindergartner students right to like actually thinking about the things that they're learning and think about them as a student where they're at um but then to, to your point about like the practicality of it and about the purpose um I think it's like that's a lot where my specific role comes in. So I'm um, I'm our director of experiential learning or our director of uh, project-based learning. Um, so one thing I work with teachers on is helping them design their projects, design project-based learning experiences for students, and think about so why does this work actually matter? Why are we doing this thing? What is the what's the application for it? Um, and then beyond that, that's also like one metric by which we measure mastery, right? So. There's a couple of layers, um, I think, to mastery. The and one of them is like, can you like do this test? And tests are totally valid assessment tools, um, right? Like, but it's like it's only one assessment tool of many options, and it measures like a pretty small like band of things. Um, but it's useful. It's tests. You know, you do well on a test. It's a good like you know, it's a good checkpoint. Um, but then, kind of like the space I'm in is like, well. How, can you apply that knowledge and can you take the things that you're learning? Can you synthesize information? Um, and then can you take it to the next level? Can you, can you actually use it in a real life context? Um, and then for me, that's like, that's, that's like peak mastery. Um, and then there's also things like, can you teach it to somebody else? We have a, you know, we're trying to build like, like a, a strong peer tutoring program, having like leveraging students to be able to work with each other, teach each other. But at those application pieces, those projects, um, I think, are are huge. And then yeah. to your point again, like it really teaches students like, hey, this is like why it matters. Mm-hmm. And this is like where it can be. And then they start seeing yes. themselves um, in those roles, in those positions and start thinking about the things that they can do in the future and things they love. Oh, and, 100%. Yeah. yeah, because that that's something I've ranted a lot uh, just in this I'm ready to redo is the idea that we're so theoretical, we're so mm-hmm. able to spit out the facts and not even for that long, <laughs> but just enough mm-hmm. to cover the test and then forget and relearn something else. Totally. But it's how can you actually apply what you've learned in a way that the the scenario or the the problem could be completely unexpected, but you can pinpoint the skills that you've learned and how to apply it because real life is not going to give you a perfectly worded equation or perfectly worded question that you know exactly how to answer. It's, it's how can you adapt yourself to the problem instead of the other way around? Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the biggest problems I've seen is that the, the learning process will be cut short. We'll never actually fully apply it. We'll never fully do placement or we'll never mm-hmm. go into the real world and actually apply our skills, we sort of have this makeshift environment within um, within the classroom that can't actually prepare you, even though yeah. that's the whole point of school is to actually prepare us for the future. And, and when you're making these uh, projects, because as you were saying before, that you work with the teachers, you help them to create, mm-hmm. convert the theoretical into practical, what mm-hmm. do you really make sure that you can achieve with the students when you're thinking of these ideas? Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost is like, is this project going to be really cool? Mm-hmm. Like are, are students <laughs> just going to have fun? And um, it's not like, it's not a great answer. And it's not like, it's not, um, well, it's not like, a, it it's not a, well, it is, but it's also like, not like, a, you know, it's not like this like foundational, like, like you oh, know, right. like, of, like pedagogy yeah yeah nah. like, oh like <laughs> fun it's like uh but no I like I I strongly believe in like in the joy of learning mm-hmm. um and um and beyond like fun fun I think is fleeting but like um but joy like like what what is it that makes like students want to come come to school every single mm-hmm. day um and continue to learn I think we often talk about uh schools and 
you know, how schools are kind of like, you know, old school systems. Mm-hmm. They're um, a little antiquated at times and that um, we don't prepare students like for the future, right? We don't mm-hmm. prepare students for like the problems of the future. And we don't even know what the future is going to look like. We don't know what kind mm-hmm. of jobs they're going to be doing. And, you know, X percent of our students are going to be in jobs that don't even exist now or whatever the quote, the stat is, right? Um, and then I think like my response to that is like, so if we're going to teach students to solve the problems of the future, then we need to let them solve in school the problems of the future so mm-hmm. let's like actually give them real world problems to solve and let's make it like make it as applicable and make it purposeful um so and this is i think where like i separate like i make the distinction i spend a lot of time making sure people understand this distinction between projects and project-based learning mm-hmm. and the distinction there um is where what like what one what role does the project play within the context of the learning process and then secondly like why does anything actually matter (laughs) that we do so the example that I give and this might I'm I'll explain this but I don't think it's gonna be like um it's not not gonna connect as strongly to the Australian audience as it does to to the American audience (laughs) or at least to the Californian audience where we are so Mm -hmm. in fourth grade uh every every fourth grade in California is has to do the missions project and this mm-hmm. is like a rite of passage. You talk to any Californian about it, and they'll be like, "Yes, the fourth year missions project." Um, they know all about it. It's and basically what you do is you like learn all about the missions. And the missions were when uh, the Catholics were moving up California. They built these missions along the way. They're like one day apart. So for those of you who don't know what missions are, and don't worry, I didn't know either. They're these buildings or outposts made by Catholic priests and are part of the expansion of the Spanish Empire between the 17 and 1800s. So thank you, Wikipedia. And back to the episode. Um, and it's very, it's much, um, it's hugely important history of California. And it's mm-hmm. like one of the reasons that California expanded in, in the way that it did. Um, so you you know, you do field trip, right, to the missions and like, you know, you go to the gift shop and you get the rock candy and things like that mm-hmm. um, because there's so many missions. Everyone gets to go to the missions and then you learn all about it. You take a test and then you get to do the project, right? And the project is to make a diorama of the mission. Mm-hmm. And and like you make it with sugar cubes or you have like, you know, you ask your parents how to do paper mache or you can go to like a craft store in California and every year around spring in the craft stores, they have these like DIY mission kits and you buy one of those mm. and you build it up and then you get a grade on this diorama of your mission. Right. And there's like one I've like, I've been teaching for 11 years now um, mm-hmm. and I have no idea how to accurately assess the quality of a diorama. <laughs> like, I don't even know like, oh what it's like, how do you create a rubric for that? Um, but secondly, like, how does that learning, how does what you did, how does that apply in any way to, to like the questions and to like uh, around missions and the history of California? Like there's no, there's no linkage there. So that's to me, that is a project and you can make those missions as pretty as, as you want. You can like put all like the bells and whistles on it. You can have the kids like attach raspberry pies to it and automate it for all I care. And like, mm-hmm. it would just be like a glorified diorama. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's not connected to like the learning process. So, so what is the project? Like, what's the thing that they're doing? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? What purpose does it have? Um, and then also how, what roles that project play in the process, right? So in this case, the mission, it's always this thing that you could do at the end of your project at end of the year unit. And mm-hmm. it's like, um, we call it like, uh, and this is a PBL works term, but it's the dessert, right? It's your dessert project. Mm-hmm. And we want to flip to main course thinking, which is this project is the thing that we're doing. And to do this, we need to learn this skill along the way and this skill along the way and this skill along the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, and to be able to do this, you need to understand this and this and this and these standards and these concepts. Um, and then you are now applying these skills and you're applying these concepts to this project, which has purpose, has value, hopefully has like some extension beyond our classroom, right? And Ron Berger spoke about this in his, um, when he talks about the hierarchy of audience, which is, you know, most projects, most anything that we do in school, um, the audience is just the teacher, you know, 
your teacher sees your essay and gives it a grade and that's it. But there's a hierarchy. So the next level of that would be maybe to like two other students in your classroom. Okay, so you're presenting it to them. There's like a step up. But how about to like the greater school community? How about to families? Um, how about to people outside of your school in the greater community? How about people who are capable of critiquing that work? Or how about in service of something greater, right? Um, of the greater need. So when I work with teachers, I'm also thinking about that. Like, who's the audience? How do we make this work purposeful? And then, like, I think if we do those well, and it's like, you know, and if teachers are passionate about it, then kids are going to latch on. We're going to be working on building, uh, doing a math project around how to redesign an outdoor classroom space because we're actually going to build this classroom space Ooh. outside and we need to um, calculate all our costs and we mm -hmm. need to figure out um, the space and we need to work with our stakeholders and we need to talk to teachers and designers and we need to meet with construction um, so this is actually happening. Contractors. Oh, this is like an actual project. Yeah. And so like Great. now mm -hmm. all the math is embedded in there, but it has purpose. Mm -hmm. And then the project is something at the end. All the math is embedded within that. Right. Okay. So you're basically recruiting the students to really help, like, as in this thing will be built, right? The outdoor learning space. Yeah. It's legal free labor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get them to do all the hard work, calculate it, sit back and just watch them. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Yeah. You don't need to just yeah. sit back. And that's like, that's the beauty of project-based learning. It's like the students are doing the work and it reframes yeah. that. And I kind of joke with teachers. It's like, you know, you should be doing nothing. Mm. Um, and like, you're doing too much all the time when you're like, you know, like that's the thing about, I don't get about lecturing. Lecturing is both like one like the boringest way of teaching yeah. but two is also like the hardest it is so mm. long like I'm yeah 50 minutes straight of just talking <laughs> yeah I get like tired after like 10 minute conversation with like yeah, yeah honestly <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah but like how are the students doing like the work how are the students doing like you know you're spending a lot of time you're a lot of time grading and figuring out assessments how are you building in peer critique and peer review and things like that um, how are you building self-reflection into the process so you're not responsible for, reflection, for the reflection? It's, mm -hmm. And it's not like you don't want to do this. It's because, like, how are we having students, like, take agency over, mm -hmm. like, the learning process? Yeah. Right. right. And I guess in that situation, what you were saying with the teachers just sitting back, they're, they're more the facilitator. They're more the person that's just checking in, seeing if everyone's okay. But really, yeah, the learning happens when the students are doing there whatever it is whether it's theory or practical and it and it doesn't just have to be maths and calculations right it could just be mm -hmm. I I think about well I'm not sure what subjects you offer there but it, English as well is a core mm -hmm. part of your curriculum right like mm -hmm. it could be that you're writing something for an actual newspaper or an actual uh, blog oh, online or whatever it is and and yeah did you have uh, sort of examples of what you're covering what they're covering in English and how they can apply it. Yeah, we did this project um, two years ago. Last year was kind of a down year for projects. Mm, last year is, yeah. yeah, last year was just kind of boring, mm -hmm. um, project-wise, <laughs> curriculum-wise. Um, but uh, we did this oral history project. So we partnered with, um, well, I guess like this is, um, I can speak a little bit to, about how we think about student agency and student voice and choice here. Um, mm. And, and this is something I love talking about because student voice and choice, I think, is a hugely popular buzzword mm. in the education sphere. And I don't think anyone agrees about what it means. But often when I hear project-based learning or projects and student voice and choice, what I come to understand that, what I come to expect is like passion projects and mm. um, you know, open-ended projects tinker time, whatever you want to call it, just like this completely open-ended like space and which I think there's totally space for. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, or genius hour, um, some people call it um, at least in the Bay because it's like a Google thing. Right. Um, but there's like totally unstructured time that students have to work on anything they want. And um, as a teacher, that's always been like one of like the most stressful kind of things mm -hmm. to watch happen. Cause it's, it's really hard um, because there's so much, so many executive skills embedded within that that students need to have to be able to to run a project completely 100 on their own 
Mm-hmm. Um, but in history or in ELA, um, two years ago, our teacher wanted to do an Orhusser project. And, and so we know, but right, like in planning this, what are the main standards that we need to teach? What are the skills that they need to learn? You know, all things ELA. We already know kind of like some of the books that have been picked out. So a lot of the backbone is there, right? Like mm-hmm. PBL is like a vehicle, project-based learning is a vehicle, but it doesn't change like the core content. Um, students are still learning like things that they need to be learning. Um, we've mapped out those, mapped all of that out. Um, it's just that we like, you know, we do this because we believe that this is a better way to deliver it versus like another form of pedagogy. Okay. Um, so the oral history project, and so we pulled the students, well, who are you, um, what do you want to learn about? Um, mm-hmm. who, who, like, what's an important voice to capture? Um, and so we ended up partnering with an organization called Downtown Streets Team in the Bay Area, which um, works with the, the houseless population in the Bay Area. And um, there's a synergy there because they wanted to, they actually, they wanted to document some of the stories of, of their clients um, and um, create some, some resources on their website. Um, and then we were also doing this project on oral history. So we worked with them. We met with their, their director um, to identify their needs. So at this point, I'm working with them, like kind of like them as a client um, for right. us and our okay. students, like service, um, servicing them. Um, and then we learned all around the issues in the Bay Area. At this time, there's particularly some like, there was um, some law changes happening in Mountain View um, that were making it really tough for the houseless um, in people experiencing houselessness in, mm-hmm. in our community, um, specifically like banning on parking in areas like oh, overnight yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to like understand the stories and we wanted to understand, like know who the people are and like create empathy there. Um, and yeah, so we met um, with their clients. We um, interviewed them. They, turned those into into stories we recorded them um and then we put the, put them together onto a website um for um for this organization um so that was like that was one example of of, of a project that we've done um and you know they're learning all those ELA skills they would have learned in any other ELA class for a sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade class whatever it is um but we're embedding those skills within something that actually matters. And in this case, this audience for this project, you know, actually was like um, a client that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's someone there <clears throat> who needs this product that we're creating. Um, there's value there and there's importance there. So like, we're gonna critique it. We're gonna like make sure it's like as good as it could possibly be and, and really like perfect the work. That's honestly what I think I well, at least what I hope projects to be is for it to have a real world impact, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's in the community, but it's impacting in a way that students feel like they have accountability for what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. the issue that I see is that, sure, you get this project a little bit wrong, but who cares? Because it's not affecting anyone. It's only affecting my grade. And right. if you have someone in the community who's literally saying, I would like this, and you can see the effects of your work here, here, and here, and you're impacting people, that's going to get any student to feel like they need to take responsibility of their own actions and their own studying and work Mm -hmm. to create the best work that they can. So essentially you don't need someone behind them like a teacher going, do this work, do this work. They're going to feel compelled because someone else is expecting good work from them. (laughs) (laughs) right it's a good pressure to have right yeah yeah but it's a healthy pressure it's it's it actually motivates them to do it in and it's I guess still an extrinsic thing but now it's becoming intrinsic because they don't want to let the community down they they Mm -hmm. actually see a purpose in what they're doing like I I've mentioned some of them where if you're going to be designing something say I guess it's easier if you're designing fashion or designing something where it's tangible mm-hmm. I, I think like why don't we go to aged care centers and why don't we ask them what their needs are what if someone mm-hmm. in the aged care center wants a dress and wants to look pretty someone can actually design that and yeah. the the grade or the uh, assessment of whether you've achieved your the a plus I say that in quotes because you know it's different for everyone 
is if the client is happy, if the person that you've made this for is actually happy, like what you were saying with um, the the houselessness, it's it's was the client who was asking for all this information and demographic and all of that, were they happy with the result? And if they are, then that in itself is an A, A plus. Totally, totally agree. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Done and dusted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not quite, but instead we've reached the halfway mark in today's episode. So hope you're enjoying it. And now on to Brandon explaining how KLS assesses these projects, especially when grades and grade levels don't exist at the school. Yeah, grade levels don't exist and grades um like A, B, C, D grades do not exist either. So right, right. Um, students move ahead based on their their um, mastery performance. So once mm-hmm. they demonstrate mastery, then they move on to the next unit. They can move on to the right. next thing, but uh, they have to demonstrate mastery. And what about the projects then? So say they've de- demonstrated mastery, which means that they've gotten their own A+. Once they mm-hmm. get to the project, how do you, do you actually assess them during the project as well? And how do you? Yeah, so a lot of um, a lot of the like the math, the LA skills, history skills, whatever they are, are going to be embedded within the project, and mm-hmm. so those will be assessed along the way. You know, I think in a lot of ways, just like many other schools, like we'll have formative assessments, we'll have pre-assessments, we'll have summative assessments, um, and um, also reflection is a huge part mm-hmm. built into this. Um, so. Um, I love the quote. I think it's John Dewey. Um, we don't um, we don't learn from experience. We learn about reflecting on experience. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a huge expectation with all these projects. Is that like along the way, students are documenting the process. They're thinking about their work. They're thinking about their learning. Um, yes. And then at, even after the project, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about the work. Their work. They we do an exhibition for all our projects. Um, so they're held accountable to, to the work in that way. They have to present it. So there's like a whole nother layer there. It's like one, you can do it. Two, can you speak speak about mm-hmm. it? Um, and when you're speaking about it, you're also reflecting on it. It's like, there's lots of layers interconnected in there. Um, so, you know, for example, like for this project, um, this, um, this, one, we're actually, we actually are, I kind of threw it in there. We actually are building a deck for um, so we're a math, so cool. uh, mm-hmm. five, six class. We'll be building a, uh, an outdoor classroom space. Um, Cause we just moved to a new campus and mm, there's like this, awesome. there's this sand pit. Yeah. <laughs> which is just like the bane of our existence. Oh no. Because <laughs> um, like, we just like, we can't have like kids in the sand pit. Um, uh, Cause it's like, an, it's like an old sand pit, but like there's sand there, but it has like this really great shade structure above it. Okay. Um, and so we want to keep the shade structure, but like, we like want to get rid of the sand pit. Um, and we're like, what do we do there? But another thing is we're like at this new space, um, we would love to have like an outdoor classroom. Mm-hmm. So we're like project. Yes. <laughs> we'll just, <laughs> exactly. project. Identify all the problems and projects. Exactly. <laughs> um, toys are clogged. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, but uh but no i mean this one this one particularly was like well this would be um like we saw the math connection there mm-hmm. yeah so there'll be like the first step is they're gonna be introduced to the problem mm-hmm. um they're gonna be thinking about um we're hoping to have them meet with um our admin team to sort of discuss like you know what are what's like the expectation for after classroom space like what's the view of the school and what are like the you know learning needs that we need in outdoor space are going to teach them how to use some kind of um uh, 3d visualization tool um Mm. so they can map it out they need to think about budget um they need to think about how to actually construct this thing then there's like some random math we'll get to throw in there we'll do some volume we'll do some surface area we'll do like lots of measurements and things like that um we're going to take we're going to do a field work experience i love to use the term field work over field trip field trip is very like you know let's go to like a museum because like we're going to take it to a museum field work is like purposeful. We're going, we're going to do work. It's tied to your project. Um, you're going to be doing the work of a blank, right? Insert mm-hmm. role here. You'll be doing the work of a biologist. You're going to be doing the work of a museum curator. You'll be doing this case. You're going to be doing the work of a, of like a architectural engineer yeah. or something of that nature. And we're going to head in and do like, 
um, research like the different materials and mm-hmm. what types of materials are best and like what's the load weight on those and yeah. um, and how that's going to lead to the construction of something and then we have to design it we have to propose it all along the way they're documenting this right, right. all along the way and um, and then we'll finally eventually be building this constructing it um, and then wait actually they're going to be yeah. building it yeah yeah oh cool yeah. yeah, I thought they were gonna like you know communicate with the construction workers and build something from there, but no, they're actually making it themselves. The goal is for them to to actually build it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, that's even yeah. more practical than what I was thinking. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they fix the toilets. Yeah, and then they fix the toilets, and they scrub um, your windows, <laughs> and they make all your food. Yep. <laughs> no, um, actually, I mean, I love the. I mean, I've seen like videos of like, or been to like Japan and it's like seen the oh, yeah. and, like the kids cook <laughs> the food the and they floors. serve them. I'm, I'm, and I'm all about that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would they be though? Mm. Like, what, what other examples? Because now it's just really, it's really inspiring to see what you're coming up with. So, um, what projects in the past have you done that have really stood out to you and the and the students? Um, so each of our teachers do, we ask them to do one or two projects a year. So like do like one, like big ish one. Yeah. Um, big ish one being like, you know, maybe it's like full year, but it's kind of like interspersed or if you're focused on it, it might be like 12, 14 weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, especially with their younger students, you might say like, just do like two smaller ones. I think PBL yeah. kind of, um, I'm not a purist uh, like ever mm-hmm. when it comes to pedagogy. Like there's not a single thing where I'm like, this is a hundred percent way to do it all the time. Um, and PBL is like, just like that. I don't think it's useful in chemistry. I don't think it's useful in early language acquisition. I don't think it's useful in like kindergarten mm-hmm. um, in like the, in a very like traditional sense or rather like kindergarten often already does a lot of PBL just by like yeah. everyday design. Mm-hmm. Um but like these kind of like long-term huge projects, um, I think don't work as well. Um, so we, ha- we have a lot to choose from. I don't know. What's your favorite subject? Uh, let, let's go with English. Let's go with English. Uh, we're doing a history of, we're doing an English and um, history collab um, in our middle school mm-hmm. this year. Um, it's going to be looking at the history of cookbooks. Um, or it's going to be understanding history through through cookbooks, understanding right. history through um, through recipes. Um, I ordered a um, what's it called? I ordered a sourdough starter. That's like oh my god, yeah. Old. What? Uh, oh my god, cool. Yeah. yeah, it's from like the Oregon Trail, um, yeah. and so like the recipes are from the Oregon Trail too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were gonna, I was gonna like get a sourdough starter those from like this like 200 year old San Francisco sourdough starter as well. And like just in comparison, wow. um, bought this oven for this project. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean like that's, and this, this is like one of those where I think, um, no, I, this is one of those like projects, it's like thematic and there's like a mm-hmm. cool application and everything. But like at the end of the day, um, like I think the exhibition we're gonna do is we're gonna do like a, we're gonna do a, um, like a food fair or something like that oh, and we like took all the recipes like from the past and like how like and then do like show what the history is connected to them mm-hmm. I think that'll end up being a presentation to families and and that'll be great and that'll be fun and it'll be awesome so like not every project we do ends up being this like thing with like this like greater purpose mm. um not everything that we do has to end up with like okay you built this thing you built the structure for the school that'll be used in perpetuity Right. Um, this one is just like, where here's the application for the things that you're learning. Um, and here's how it's all going to come together. Um, mm. and right. So like there's purpose, there's a project and the project leads the learning. Um, but the, as on the hierarchy audience kind of scale, it's like a little bit lower and like, that's totally fine sometimes. Yeah. And that's very um, flexible though, right? Like yeah. if a student sees that, oh, well, I know this person who owns a restaurant and maybe I have a recommendation for them depending on what we've found throughout, you know, like it, it yeah. can extend into the community regardless. And, yeah. and also in terms of those projects, do students, KLS students also choose what sort of projects they, they want to see in the future or is it up to the teachers to do that? Students want to, I think they want to like, add their input and they want to say like mm. you know we want to learn about these things and I like I think we like try to consider that as much as possible mm-hmm. and also it's just 
really hard to sometimes because one mm. they don't know like the the standards by which we're adhering to right mm. um so you know i teach science um so i still i do our, our project-based learning but i also teach um i also teach our il3 science which is our fourth and fifth grade science mm-hmm. course um and you know students are like we want to learn like chemistry i'm like okay well like like we could do some chemistry but mm-hmm. i'm not gonna like i can't dedicate like a 12-week unit to chemistry because right, yeah. chemistry doesn't exist like in those like the standards that at that age well we can definitely do some like we'll, we'll we'll explore it i'm not gonna like not do it but mm. um and then the other reason is um sometimes like students like don't know like or they don't students don't know the things they don't know or no one knows mm. the things that they don't know so oh, gotcha. when we're designing projects i think one of the coolest things about it is that we get a chance to open students eyes to something that they might not have understood or seen before as right. interesting mm. so like a previous school i um we worked on this project around bees and we were categorizing um looking at the local native bee population in san diego and helping mm-hmm. scientists um categorize them and documents um, their population, right? So like, this is like a citizen science project. All the data that was collected was leading to something. Um, and it's all about bees. And I don't know if like on a random day, like we asked students like, what science do you wanna learn this year? Anyone's gonna say, I wanna learn all about bees. <laughs> yeah, but by true. the end of this project, right? They're like bee experts and they know mm-hmm. everything about it. And they can like categorize all the bees and it's like, that's a honeybee. That's a little <laughs> San Diego bee, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that one's cool that one doesn't have wings it just crawls around it's crazy and um and they get really stoked about it. so so mm-hmm. that's like another reason I'm like I'm just like a little wary of like giving too much um voice and choice too much agency yeah. in students that's not but that they do have to have agency so in all of these projects there is space right like the students are taking ownership of their learning the students there are ways in which the project is led by them mm-hmm. um and it's going to end up in like really cool bits of inquiry and like for this history cookbook project, they're going to want to dive into something and they're going to end up somewhere. And there's going to be questions that we didn't know we're going to show from the beginning. And that's like, right. that's a good project, right? So there's space for that. But it doesn't mean that us as teachers are going into a blind, not knowing like what the standards are. Like for this English project, we know the things that they're going to end up learning. We know the skills mm-hmm. they're going to develop, but we don't know the questions they're going to have and what investigations that they want to start constructing. Mm. Um, so that's, that's like the exciting balance. I think of, yeah. of like a good balanced project. And in terms of the flexibility of that, uh, of that project or of the curriculum, because I know that everyone is different. So some people might really latch onto that um to, onto a particular topic in a project but then someone else might go oh I'm actually I, I don't really see the point or I don't really have an interest in this when that happens do you personalize it to them and they can choose something like a sort of sideways reroute sort of thing or do they have to go with what other students are doing I think that's um one of the beauties of PBL and like really well-designed projects is that it doesn't happen that much. Mm, okay. um, and there's like a couple of things that lead to this. Uh, yeah. So we do um, every, so we do project launches. And so leading up to the project, no one gets to know like what the project is. Oh, okay. um, so like yeah. parents will ask and they'll be like, you know, like, like I just did a back to school night and mm. um, whole back to school. And I was like, I can't really tell you anything that's going on because we haven't started our projects yet. So well, they've been here, scrubbing like, out toilets. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Um, some of them are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to like be really concerned. Yeah. About that. So, I'll put um, this in the intro. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, that'll be hilarious. You should do that. Um, but, but there's uh, so parents don't know about it. Um, students don't know about it. And then there's going to be like this project launch. So actually next mm-hmm. like Thursday, I'll be doing a project launch for um, our spy project. Um, it's going to be like an IL3. So it's like, it's our fifth grade spy project. Um and they're going to be doing a virtual tour of the um, of the spy museum in uh, in in DC. Cool, yeah. But um, it's just like this. It's like this thing, right? It's like, what's the project going to be? What are we going to be doing this year? And then it's like this drop. And then we have this day and this class. And the class is totally different. It's not like the usual structure that you have in a class. And it's just exciting. And it's just one day and 
you like make sure it's like the most engaging thing possible and mm-hmm. super awesome. You introduce your essential question and you like start getting the students like think about what it might be about. Um, so we're gonna do like essential an hour question. And a half. So do you, uh, like, does every project have an essential question to it? Yeah. Um, sorry, I totally just dropped that in. Um, yeah. So the essential <laughs> question is like, what's the what's the question that this this open ended question that the whole project is centered around mm. um, that they're going to try to address? And a good essential question isn't like just like open ended. It's something that they can continue to answer like for the rest of their lives and not like really have a clear answer. Um, so what's an so, example of uh, an essential question you've done? You could use any of the, I guess, the uh, say the sandpit one. Was there an essential question for that one? Yeah, so like we haven't um, launched that project yet, but I think I could pull up the, it might be, it's pro- I think it's something like um, what do, um, how can mathematicians, it's like how can we as mathematicians um, design the optimal outdoor space or something like okay, that. Right. We're doing collab with our with a English class, mm. um, so it's a fourth grade English class, fourth grade science class, and the essential question is: What does it mean to have a strong heart, metaphorically and um, physically? So, on the English side, they're going to be um, doing work around like precepts and where like the qualities that we want to have as a community, and they're going to be doing um, reading books around that. Um, they started the year by reading Wonder. They're going to be mm, doing that's such a good poetry. book. That such is a good an book, incredible right? book. Yeah, and it's such a really good standard for the for the term. Um, and then in my class, uh, we're going to be um, in a science class. They're going to be learning about a physical heart. So they'll learn about like the circulatory mm. system. Um, they'll make models of hearts, um, and then they'll also be dissecting um, dissecting a cow heart mm-hmm. um, and doing all that. There's going to be an art component. Um, so we're working with art teacher. Where they're going to take all this. And synthesize it. I think they're going to do like anatomical drawings of, of the uh, parts they cool. dissect. Uh-huh. They're going to take CPR classes, so we're going to get all our students certified in CPR, Ooh, which kind awesome. of ties like the whole thing together of like you know, like the metaphorical and physical heart. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but like they're going to be working on this central question, right? Like, what does it mean to have a phys- like have a strong heart metaphorically and physically? And all the lessons are going to come back to the central question, and they're they're going to reflect on that essential question. That thinking is right. going to change. So as they do this. How do we answer that question? What do we think about it? As we like do the art, how's the art like mm. connected to that? As we write our poetry, how are we connecting back to that? As we do our work in science and we're dissecting hearts and we're like looking at um, and we're creating our models, how are we coming back to that essential mm-hmm. question? And the CPR is, it's, it's a kind of loaded, but it's in there, right? It's kind of can, brings it all together. Yeah. It's just fun. It's more practical <laughs> and you yeah. can definitely save someone if you learn this yeah exactly so bonus so if you ever have any sort of issue again the teachers are covered because all the students can do cpr on them Uh, exactly (laughs) again they are useful (laughs) in another way yeah um so oh wait now i got distracted by cpr i had a question yeah, I don't even know uh, where we were before this. But, but the, the um the the day, the launch day. So you oh, have yeah, you reveal yeah. the question, the central question. How else? Because what I'm hearing from this is that the most important thing of that day is to build that anticipate or not anticipation, but build that interest, build that passion. So then you don't get the issue of students finding it boring. I mean, have you ever had that happen where students after that day? are still a bit iffy or do you find that the students themselves sort of create a buzz within them and everyone gets excited? I think it creates a buzz. It creates, a, it creates like a buzz around school too, mm. right? Because like, oh, like um, in that class, they're doing like this project and like, mm. you know, we have um, our IL two students. The, the, these, are, these are the ones that are going to be like, they're going to be the jerks of the, of the school because they're doing, um, <laughs> our third grade class is doing this project around the sea and exploring the sea and their central questions essential question is how do um why do we explore the sea why do you explore uh, the ocean yes. and how do we do that as artists how do we do that as scientists how do we do that as writers and as artists mm. as poets um and then there's so our project launches are going to go take surfing class surfing lessons um and just like that's the launch that's the day of the launch, that's the launch. yeah oh, that's and so like, cool you know, like they'll get to explore the sea they'll get their hands dirty you know we do all that um oh. and it just it brings in that engagement initially. Um, and also at the same time, I think we'll probably do like some labs at the one we're at the beach. Um, 
And then hopefully we can, we can record some things underwater as well that we can come, come back to. But like, it's hard after that not to be really excited about like, yeah. okay, we're going to be doing like learning more about the sea and how we're like responsible right. for it. And because we've like had this moment, we've connected to it. It's also like great just like for these launches for like English, uh, English language learners, because then like you're introducing the concept first and then you can bring the vocabulary in yeah. back to that. Um, so it's like just a random thing with like field work, field trips. Like people always yeah. do them at the end, but like mm. to be your first thing. Like if you're yeah. doing a project on like Renaissance history and you're going to go to a museum and you're doing that on the last day, like you should flip that and do it on the first day so they can see all the stuff and then you can, everything comes back to it. But um, but yeah, but but there are, after this, like there will be students who are not engaged. There will be some students who aren't like super stoked about it. Maybe mm. someone hates water. Um, maybe mm. someone... Uh, as terrified of sharks um and so when i do project planning we i have one section um on our planner which is um like thinking about students um who might not be engaged with this topic Mm -hmm. so this is usually and back to like something i said way back i think lack of engagement usually has to do with um lack of um like feeling like you don't have the ability to do something Mm -hmm. um rather than like this is interesting. I think like, like you can make almost anything interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, but if we feel like we don't get it and that is math, that's science, that's ELA, then it's going to be really hard to be engaged. Mm-hmm. So let's think about those mm-hmm. students now. So like, what are the, who are the students who um, might not latch onto this? Who are the students who are going to struggle with like these certain standards? Um, and what are some extra supports we're going to build in there? Right. So like between that, like the launch or between just think about our students individually and meeting them where they're at, um, and also for that's also extensions. Um, mm-hmm. That's the other reason for boredom is because like you know how to do it. So like, what's yeah. our extension for students? Yeah. Um, then then like you're most of the way there. I see. Like, yeah, ninety five percent. I mean, that's pretty high compared to more traditional systems. And and so from that launch, I had the misconception. Like in my head, it was you talk about the topic. You have these like what streamers and balloons or whatever it is and you're like this is the launch this is the topic here's the question but no you really immerse the students into what they're doing which makes me think what was the heart one then (laughs) did you just throw a heart and go that's what you're doing (laughs) the the (laughs) metaphorical and physical heart like how did you launch that one we haven't launched that project yet okay okay um that's actually the thing we've been we've mapped out like that whole project and like we're still stuck on the launch because like mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm just like not satisfied with any idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, Surround, so just have a lab. If you have an idea, if your listeners have any ideas of what <laughs> we can do, um, that'd be cool. Um, yeah. yeah, awesome. I'll I'll let them. Know. <laughs> They'll hear this and go, oh gosh, oh gosh, this is their time to shine. Honestly, though, if you do have suggestions, please send them to itsjjyang at gmail.com. It will be in the description as well. And I'll pass your ideas on to Brandon, and who knows? They might create a mural after you and decorate them with arteries, veins, and hearts, metaphorically and anatomically. So now on to the last part of today's episode. And when you mentioned that students would first do the mastery-based learning, And then that would lead up to the reveal of the project and then doing the project. My mind latched onto, well, if everyone's working at their own pace and it's very personalized to their journey, how do you find a time when everyone's ready to do the project? Right. That is, I think that is a huge um, one. It's not that it's, I just want to clarify one thing. It's not that they do all the mastery based work and then we get to the project. Mm -hmm. It's, It's all happening at the same time. Um, and they demonstrate mastery through the project and like during the project there'll be moments um, things that are assessed Um, I think that is a huge question that Mm -hmm. we we grapple with Um, and there's like almost feels like this inherent like clash sometimes because Mm -hmm. mastery-based learning is self-paced mastery-based learning is meeting you where you're at whereas project-based learning is collaborative mastery-based, or I'm sorry, project-based learning is collaborative. Um, so, but it's also, I think it's good to have both of those. Um, mass, like, whereas what they're doing on their own and what they're doing 
um, like exactly where they're at and meeting them exactly where they are and like, they are and say math, that is a very like personal individual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the projects, they have to apply that together and they have to like discuss the math together and Mm. they have to like build this thing together and so now we're not just applying the math we're also building on social emotional learning and executive skill functioning um so there's there is like a synergy there but at the same time yeah it is it does get tricky sometimes with um with students being at different places with these projects um and then with that it's about giving extra support for like students who who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I that's also, yeah, I, <laughs> that's like, I think the perfect uh, opportunity as well for students who have already completed all the mastery based modules or whatever to then mm-hmm. teach the ones during the project, the ones who are a bit iffy on it and, and mm-hmm. to basically support them that way. I think it's uh, what you were saying about the collaboration. It's very important to actually be able to communicate what you've just learned with someone else mm-hmm. and protect, particularly help them if they don't understand so amazing amazing things coming from KLS and um, mm -hmm. and the last last question is what do you believe and this is again a very loaded question but what do you believe is a mindset or a skill that if students don't learn they will be very very disadvantaged in the 21st century Maybe it's because like the state of uh, of things in the United States. Um, I feel like there's like so many shouting matches happening all the time, everywhere with each other. Um, Listen to each other, right? That's another one. Hmm. Like listening to each other, understanding each other's stories. Um, It's like one thing I like about like the projects is building, bringing like human elements to to it. Um, And I don't know, being able to understand other people and like know their stories, um, mm-hmm. I think will take us a really long way. Um, and I don't know, it's like, it's a big part of, again, like what we do at KLS is like, are those social emotional learning skills? It's like something we're thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. We're, we imp- we're implementing uh, restorative justice practices in our school this year. So that, that is very yeah. interesting. I, I, Okay, that could be another episode if we so choose to do it because restorative um, practice or restorative teaching has recently been a discovery of mine. Ooh, I got a, I got a great human for that if you need one. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not going to be that person. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm learning, and yes. I'm, I'm doing my best, but it's like, uh, yeah, you'll be, you'll be bored talking about that with me. But I am very keen. But anyway, thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on. This has been incredible. I hope this has really inspired, I guess, the educators who are listening to this to implement more practical-based learning within the curriculum, if they can, because I know at the start you said it's really hard to change Mm -hmm. things within a school. But even Mm -hmm. just including a little bit in a curriculum here or there can make all the difference. And where can we find Kayless? Where can we find you or any sort of links that you want to share with us? Yeah, if, um, if people are interested in learning more, um, you know, we are a lab school. Uh, so, you know, we're constantly trying new things and we're implementing them. We're seeing what works. And our goal is that it's to not exist on island. Our goal is not to serve our students like within our little section of Mountain View, Palo Alto, um, California, but to serve everyone, right? Um, so if you want to learn more about practices, you're interested in mastery-based learning, project-based learning, um, sign up for our summer institutes. Um, so go to kls.org or conlabschool.org um, and check it out. Um, this past summer, we had our first institutes and we had people from all over the world. We had people in South Korea, South Africa, um, come and learn about how to implement mastery-based programs um, within their math programs or Um, We had another workshop on how to embed um, SEL instruction into your curriculum. So yeah, come check it out. We would love to love to have you all. Great. Yay. (laughs) Wait, so that's for educators specifically or schools who want to implement mastery-based learning into their curriculum? Anything, anyone actually. Yeah. So we had, we had a lot of teachers and then we had a lot of administrators come as well. So we had um, a lot of teachers who were just like kind of um, Mm one-offs interested in how to build models within their own school. And it was really awesome to see, you know, we had a lot of teachers from schools that were already like doing mastery 
like on some level or some schools, like a lot of independent schools, but then we had some teachers who are just in the public school system mm. and like, I want to implement this within my own classroom. Right. And I think that's really cool. Cause you know, like what I said earlier, schools have really, um, schools can be slow places that are slow to change, but mm-hmm. like you can make those some changes within your classroom. It doesn't need to be like everything, but like where some, some ways that we could rethink, um, you know, our approach to, to teaching. Mm. And then we have also a lot of administrators who were coming in to think about how do I rework like my entire math program, for example, yeah. uh, to best support teachers. So, and then we had one, someone who's coming in is like, I'm launching a school <laughs> and uh, <laughs> basically have one real schoolhouse. And I'm like, that's really cool too. Yeah. So anyone awesome. and everyone. Cool. Yeah. I hope, I hope actually people jump onto that because how, how often do you do it? Uh, our last year was our first one. So oh, cool. this past summer, so it was remote. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like this summer. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be remote again, um, I'm kind of yeah. hoping not. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. but our goal is to like make this a regular thing because um, you know again as we as we do more work, we just want to share the resources. We want to share everything. You know, mm-hmm. we're all about like like in the spirit of, like Khan Academy, right? Khan Academy is pretty much like put it out there. The people will come. Yeah. And it's the same thing with uh, with our work at Con Lab School. It's like mm-hmm. we're doing this. Here's what we've learned. Here's what works. Take it. Use it. Um, do right by your students. Yeah.